Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, I have no idea where this podcast is going to end up, and you'll understand why in a moment. On the mics right now, not live from the New South Wales Central Coast, is John Singleton, Russell Tate, and Mike Conaghan. Now you know why this could go anywhere. But I'm going to attempt to bridle these three wild brumbies, and it's an apt descriptor given we're recording at a restaurant called Saddles. So wish this faux journo jackaroo jockey well. We're about to start horse trading. Now to the conversation. It's clearly timely given John Singleton is out of the advertising and media business after his dominant share in Macquarie Radio was finally flogged to nine and Singo's raging war of words against multinational advertising networks in favour of local operations hit a likely permanent brick wall last month when WPP acquired 100% of the hitherto listed Australian operation. Many probably won't know and as many probably won't care, but we can trace the roots of the recent ructions at WPP on John Singleton back in the 1990s. That was when Singo was still deep in the ad business, successfully spooking international ad networks with his distinctive style, made you sound classy there, John, and held what ended up being a lucrative and strategically crucial stake in Network 10, which was about 45 owners ago. With him today are his long and loyal lieutenants in the advertising and media business, Russell Tate and Mike Conaghan. Tate was essentially the architect and the peace broker between Singo and his dear friend Sir Martin Sorrell when Sir Martin relinquished outright control of his Australian operation and struck a highly unusual joint venture with those crazy Australians storming the big globals. It was a rare white flag Sir Martin Sorrell raised nearly 25 years ago when he realised he was better joining them, not competing. Indeed, in another MI3 podcast a couple of weeks ago, Sir Martin, now competing against his old ship via S4 Capital, suggested the problems at WPP finally blew up because it lacked local Australian leadership. Let's start there and get this rodeo firing. Welcome, gents. John, you're looking from afar now, but your grand design for an Australian marketing and communications supergroup is essentially in the doghouse. Everything is actually back where it started 30 years ago, you said earlier, maybe even 50 years ago, in which the global holding companies dominate. So I guess what are your observations on what happened at WPP and is there really any opportunity or demand for local Australian shops to flourish today? And I'm strapping in. Welcome, John Singleton. Yeah, mate, I don't think there's any advertiser out there would spend one second a year discussing whether or not they needed an Australian communication group. They just want to sell more of X, Y, or Z. If you're a client, I think you'd go where where you got the best talent and all the best media deal, bit of both. And so your premise then was more about what your agency was creating at the time rather than being Australian, although it was distinctively uh, had an Australianness to it versus a multinational, which it did was. It was Australian, and we made much as we could of it. But right. I think, I think people look blankly and think, "Yeah, what's in it for us? We're in the business of what's in it for us." The Australia Made campaign, which was one of the best yeah. ever done. Um, Written by, wrote the worst of that song. Yeah, exactly. It yeah. uh, wasn't a bad song. That <laughs> no, wasn't. John Williamson done John very Williamson. well. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. I mean, the whole premise of that for Australian Made was we don't expect you to pay more or yeah. anything else or, or get less quality. But when all else is equal, by Australian. And that was very much the way we pitched 
so what was the rage from, I mean, we'll get to you in a minute, Russ, uh, about so your, what you did with the business, but there was a rage against the multinationals. For what reason then? What was it that you didn't like? Um, repeat some of those fabulous <laughs> one-liners and beyond that you used to roll out. Oh, I, I just basically hated them all. They're all run by pretenders who, when I say all, that's probably unfair. There might be, a, Mojo was an exception. But in most of the other cases, in all the other cases I can think of, they were run by guys who would rather, who weren't really happy about being advertised and they were a bit embarrassed. The creative guys would rather be doing movies or writing books and good luck to them. The business guys would rather be in a proper business, not be account service, which is account servile. And I don't think much of that's really changed. The media buying, it's the only business in the world where the more you spend, the more you pay. And the smaller you are, the less you pay. It's a weird circumstance, but you've got to get direct to get to the client. So the need for the, I think, think the need for anyone to buy us because I was denigrating the other agencies was just, it was a point of anger point of difference and and, I, and the ads were so bad by the foreign agencies as became the case as Sorrell said in the uh, WPP they had no, you'd sit there and watch the ads and think these guys do not understand Australia and Australia is very very different to England or America or Japan so I used to get angry about that and I expressed my anger and they particularly when they would bring in septics and poms and Japs to, to, and Belgians and God knows what to run these. Kiwis companies. even. Yeah, and Kiwis. They're all right. But the Pommy Mafia was the best. Were. Well, New Zealand's closer to Australia, but got no idea really, as, <laughs> any more than I have. If, if you put me in Christchurch today or Auckland or Wellington and ask me to tell you how the average New Zealand feels about the All Blacks, I, I could tell you they're in love with them because I've read so much about it, but I don't instinctively know anything. So, but what do you make then? So let, let's put the Australian thing aside for a minute. What do you make of the beast that you created? You made plenty of money out of it, so that's a good thing. But it's now what it was as a listed. You, you built something that ultimately got listed uh, and it's now gone back into WP's hands, outright control. So the, so the, so the creature that you had is no longer even got a, an Australian legacy. What do you make of what happened to WPP? Oh, it's a great pity. Great pity. Because we had two, three ways we could have gone. We could have ended up unhappily, which has hap- which happened. We could have become, these are things that we had a board meeting most afternoons around the grand piano, and we discussed various ways we would go in the future. We couldn't just stay in Australia and compete with international agencies who had international clients. We had to become, we had to get our hands on some of that international business. And the only rational way we could do that was to acquire, merge, or do something with an international agency. And Russ and I travelled to New York one time, which Russ will talk about. Went to uh, various social events and we met with some great blokes, Phil Guyer at McCann's. Really enjoyed him. Talked about the need for us, for them to do better, how they duplicated, replicated what we were doing. And really, pretty reluctantly, we met with... uh, Martin Sorrell, because his reputation was, you know, from the Sarchis who we'd met coincidentally. It was mid-90s or something, was it? When was this? I have no idea. 
long time ago. Yeah, long time, decades. <coughs> Russell, yeah. early to mid nineties. Yeah, we'd been going about ten years, and we started to look around. And Martin Sorrell, through Jeff Wild, who was helpful at the time with that, we had, and Michael Ball, who'd come. Yeah, right. He was helpful too because he. He let Sorrel know how much he re- highly he regarded us. At least they tried to help him and assume they did. So when we met Sorrel, we said, look, it's a pretty simple story and Russell did most of the selling because I could tell Sorrel, he didn't think I didn't, I don't think he particularly liked the cut of my jib. <laughs> and <laughs> I've heard. Can't yes. wait to get there. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Take it as a compliment. Nettie Smith didn't like me either. <laughs> but I... I think what we said to them was, if you, let's take Ogilvy. These are things which, if I get the figures wrong, Russ will be quick to... Jump on, but, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but that's, that's fine. But the point was we said to Martin, like, here's the deal. Martin, here's the situation. We've both got about the same revenue in Australia, Ogilvy and Singleton, mm. and we make $15 million and you lose a fortune. So if we put them together... Made 30 million, would you rather make 15 million or lose 10? And you don't have to worry about it, you don't have to manage it. We have to have two thirds, you have a third. And against all observations and all, all the bets that were made about that ever happening, Martin agreed to it. And I think he was pushed along by, he had a, an operations finance guy then who I really liked called Miles Young. Miles ran the region. Is it, he's, he's gone to S4 now, isn't he? He's on the board or something. He's on the board, yeah. Of his, of, of his new company, yeah. And he's also, I believe, his university. Yeah. He went, yeah, back, he went back to uni. But he, he ran anyway, he, he ran Ogilvy. He ran the region. Asia Pacific. Right. But we had his support too. And it, and it really worked very quickly. I remember Russ and I went to New Zealand once, looked at the New Zealand company. Upstairs was full of awards and beautifully well-dressed people and the car park was full of Maseratis and Porsches and et cetera, et cetera. And then downstairs... You were more of a roller man, weren't you? Oh, well, <laughs> whatever my driver prefers. <laughs> <laughs> we, had a, we had a circumstance with, with Sora where he just readily agreed with putting it together with Russell being the CEO, where he and I would stay away from one another and in his words only ring... Him if it was a disaster or really great news and vice versa. Otherwise, we didn't need to talk again. So I rang him about a week later. <laughs> this is Sorrel you rang? Oh, mate, the first... Things were starting to go wrong because we had the existing management of... We were cutting back, but you can't have two CEOs, even really good blokes like Jeff. You've got to have Jeff Wild. You needed Russell to have absolutely... And myself, as far as getting business... We, we needed to have a free run. We couldn't be second-guessed all the time. It couldn't be the A team and the B team or the old Singleton Group and the old Ogilvy's. It had to be one agency. Therefore, one CEO, one creative director, and some hard decisions were made and Sorrel agreed with them all. Yeah, they were pretty good about that. They were good. No, no problems at all. And they were very good and very pleased when the Ogilvy side, as their third of o- Singleton Ogilvy made that, as it was called, when their third made them a lot more money than they were losing prior to the merger. So, but then with the Jay Waller Thompson contract, we didn't have the management control. We didn't have the two thirds, one third. 
So they went from roughly losing 10 million to under Mike Conahan's leadership making 10 million. Bang, same year. And someone interfered and suggested an ugly person should go to it, see back to the two agencies, should go down to stuff Thompson's up the way it was. You had to have a token woman. I don't know if it was a token woman or a token pommy or whatever it was. Anyway, this bird who was hopeless turned up at Thompson's, which I wish I'd gone. I wish I'd suggested to Russ and said, mate, that's my alma mater. I started there. Let me go down there and front that and give you a run for your money. It would have been fun, but I didn't think about it at the time. So you started bit, JWT, did you? Yeah, right. so it's a bit late. To, in hindsight, it could have been turned into a bit of a fun thing. But it didn't happen. And, you know, Russ, if you have a criticism of Russ, he's just too straight, too honest, does the right thing. I would have gone down, sacked his healer, and copped the crap later because London's a long time, a long way away. Australia was a small part of the the WPP empire. Yeah. I would have done that. Anyway, we didn't. And we also walked away from becoming a media company, which apart from advertising, we did have Macquarie Radio, which was later merged with Channel 9, as you more recently. Much more recently, yeah. Who then pulled apart everything they'd bought in a unique management move which Russell can discuss. I think that's because the guy we sold it to, he, he was he departed company with them by the time they had conclusions. So I've not been involved since it's up to us, but they sold the goose and the golden egg. Back to we were becoming a media company. We also had the number one T V network in Indonesia. We had John Sevier from Perpetual telling us how to run the agency and keep the radio out of it. And he got press, press, press every day where we weren't experienced enough in public company to just overrule it or whatever. Perhaps, perhaps not. Then we had SCTV, the number one TV network in Indonesia and still is, making a lot more than all the advertising companies. We had a third of that. And with Carnegie, we had about 40%. So we could have put that into our public company, Nadi Saramaja, our Indonesian partner, would have gone along with that. And then we had Lonely Planet. We had a third of that, which again is all part of media advertising and could have, if we'd grasped the opportunity, which I didn't understand, didn't have the, it was just too old, mate, to grasp something new. <laughs> but if, I think that's basically it, too lazy, too old, whatever. But Lonely Planet could have run into a trip advisor or whatever. Well, anyway, we didn't do those things. So we, we let the no. media opportunity companies lapse to great profit to our shareholders, by the way. But not as well, much you had as 10 as well, well, right? So you had 10 there. Yeah, we had 10, 10, yeah. 10 was there only in the early years, though. The flight, really, 10, it was dress the IPO was up. Was yeah. yeah, and I, I leave 10 out because it was in. Right. So, right. so 10 was part of the original flight. Right. It's called yeah. the Santa Claus flight. Because you bought 10 and got the, yeah. the agency free or vice versa. It was meant lightheartedly, but there was some truth in that. Before we get to sort of WP now, Singo, first up, you said Sir Martin didn't like the cut of your jib. I think it was mutual. What was the, like, just you two cuts were too far apart in terms of your worldview, or what was it? I don't know why. I went there with an open mind. Um, I'd heard, uh, when I went back into the business, Ogilvy were the only ones who treated me seriously. David Ogilvy was the only international figure who I'd met 
who actually sent me a telegram those days, remember telegram? Yeah. Michael Ball, the CEO of Ogilvy, yeah. to save us capital at that stage. So we were able to place through one of his subsidiary agencies so that we could become accredited immediately without all the financial duress and management. So I felt really kindly disposed towards Ogilvy, although they always had nice people. I liked Jeff Wild, nice bloke. Everyone liked Clemenger's. I didn't meet any really low lives. Right. In my time, Miles George Patterson, Miles Young, Shilly. now Patterson was full of dickheads. Uh, well, you were, well, yeah, I was going. You were running with Alex Hamill, as I remember. At one I stage. don't. Inc- I don't include Alex. Right. Want to ask Russell? So your take, because you know, Singo was was there as the as the figurehead and the and the and the rainmaker for new business and, and and all that. But you were the the architect of the structure and the, the deal. Before we get to that, what do you what do you make of what happened to WP now? I mean, do, do, are you disappointed? Oh, it's pretty predictable. I think it, it, it's been heading that way for a while. And I, I, I've heard the, the uh, interview you did with Martin and the point he's made, I think is ex- that's self-evident, has been for a long, long time. Uh, John made the point right at the, the outset of this, this discussion. <laughs> You're in Australia. It is. There are some differences here, and I mean, I, I look now at television, mainstream media stuff, ads. Uh, they're all made somewhere else too. It's it's crazy stuff. And it, it'll work better. It'll work. It's always going to work better if you've got competent Australians running a business in Australia than competent somewhere else people. Did it change at some point, though, where you talk about a lot of Brits coming in and a lot of um, um, people from abroad? Does it matter as much n- now? Do you see Do you see a really... I mean, we've got to think about ads now and, and advertising and marketing is far more broader. And I know Singo, Singo's um, sort of a, an astute social media poster, um, particularly on Instagram. <laughs> um, so I know you know all about it. I don't know, I don't know what you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's okay. Well, yeah. I think you're okay. No offence. Yeah, no, okay. yeah, no, it's, it's good. You, you know, now, does it matter. I mean, the Australian bit, that's the bit where I, you know, I just wonder, you know, it's different. It's different today, is it? Why is it any different today? You know, if all other things are the same and you, you, you can add something on that is is more appealing to Australians than, uh, you know, an Austrian can, can do, why is yeah. it different? I don't, I, think it's different. No, I think it's absolutely critical. I mean, you look at the, the most successful agency today, outside of, you know, probably Ogilvy and Clemenger. This is Mike Conaghan, by the way. <laughs> Um, is the monkeys, right? And they're like, yeah. yeah. Now, they've been bought by Accenture, which is sort of interesting in itself. But, um, you know, the monkeys is really what Singo's was in its day. You know, unassailable in new business. They've got all the big clients, all the big clients want to work with them. And that's what we were, um, certainly prior to the Ogilvy deal. And then once we, you know, once we became single and Ogilvy and Mather, it was on steroids. We just, you know, we, we, we smashed it. We were unbeatable, and the monkeys are a little bit like that. Um, then you got Ogilvy's and Clemenger's, and yeah, there's always a Sarchi's and a DDB sort of sort of hovering around. But that, you know, that's always about the local the local leadership of those agencies, and, and they'll move on, and that agency will collapse. It's the it's the local leadership, which is you know, Clemenger's has always been a pretty steady state. The monkeys they'll be as good as as long as those guys stay around, but how long are they going to stay around for? Well, one's gone, isn't it, already? So I did get distracted, though, or someone cleverly moved the t- subject on from the New York, exper- the New York experience, um, Russell, which has clearly got something to do with John and Martin, I suspect. What was he talking about? 
good here. But <laughs> was that not good? Not, not good not, here, remembered not, it? Not good. No, we, we had a few New, New York experiences, and, and they, were, they were mostly good. And, and most of them ended in a very big headache. Right, okay. Leave it at that. It was an aside that had no relevance whatsoever. Right, right. I, I remember vividly meeting Phil Geyer yep. with John in New York. We were both very tired after a very long trip. And I remember Phil saying to me, asking me how old I was. I told him, 48, I think I was at the that's time. Right. He said, that's a very, very good age to be. He said that about three times. He was, <laughs> he was obviously reflecting. He was something happened at 48. He was, was smoking good. the biggest cigar I've ever seen at the time right. in his <laughs> office. But we spoke to McCann and Lintas and then, as John said, finally Ogilvy, Miles Young, Shelley Lazarus was then the, the boss of, right. of Ogilvy internationally. Fantastic. Just though. on that, though, no bites from any other networks. Uh, Sorrel was the only one that said, let's get serious, or was no, there? No, well, it, it was driven. In the end, Sorrel had to approve it, but it was driven by Miles and Shelley. Right. Um, and Miles knew more of us because he was head of Ogilvy in the region, uh, and Ogilvy in Australia wasn't doing all that well. Mm. So they, they needed some help, and they were, turned, turned out to be a good fit, and, and they were great partners. Right, we'll dart back to Mike Conning because yeah. I haven't asked him yet about his take on uh, on WPP and what's happened to it. It's your, it was your CEO for how many years? Uh, ten. Ten? More, maybe. Wow, right, okay. Um, and if you hear that noise, um, that's uh, John Singleton's massive dog who I'm not going to tell anything to do because he'll bite <laughs> my head off, but nevertheless, that's the noise. Um, so ten years at, 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 at WPP, yeah. uh, Mike, um, you've been out for two, a yeah, bit more. Yeah. What do you make of your old ship and what happened to it? Oh, I think it's actually really sad. Um, you know, when so I was obviously there when when John and then Russell sort of handed on to me. We were proudly Australian owned, and WPP were uh, you know they oscillated between a ten and twenty percent shareholding depending on what we were doing with acquisitions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And that was a you know that was an up and down relationship, but a very successful one for WPP. Uh, and WP at the time, just for those that don't, also had its own operations. Correct, also had a stake in STW. And they, outside of what we owned as our, as ourselves, and what they owned was about the same size. Eventually, it was it was clear that what should happen is that STW should become WPP AUNZ. So we should basically take over. Mm-hmm the operations of WPP, not unlike what Singleton's did with Ogilvy. And so essentially that's what happened. We, the local company SCW, acquired the assets of WPP in Australia and New Zealand. It's a big business, you know, it's the fifth biggest market in the world for WPP, Australia and New Zealand. You know, it's important. And Before that happened, STW was getting close to a – no, WPAUNZ got to a billion. A billion-dollar market cap, yeah. yeah. And yeah. sold – Pretty much about four. No, what was the enterprise value in the last last couple of months? Oh, you were a shareholder, Mike. Oh, I don't know. A lot less. <laughs> a lot less. Pain, yeah. Painful conversation for me. We got we got to nearly nine hundred million at STW. At STW, right? Yeah, six two hundred at one stage. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But then, <laughs> when the end came. You're going to rush to the end, do you? You want to talk waffle? Give us the end now. What went wrong? Well, in in my opinion, and I've thought about it a lot because, and you know, to build something and not be proud, like we had fantastic time, by the way. Built Spasm, which was my first agency, to number three. To get to number one, advertising agency group 
in the whole of Australia, including Joe Willow Thompson, where I'd started as the dispatch boy in 1958, mm. was a feeling of, it felt really terrific. And I remember one of the great highs of my life was in London with Russ. And when, when we'd done this, we were now a single Nogilvy, we were dominant. I mean, you couldn't, I know even the last month before I rang Russ and said, mate, I can't stand this anymore, I can't. I'm not, not contributing, I'm not asked to contribute. But in that last month, we got, or I got, in a private meeting, all the Commonwealth Bank business, every bit of it, the checkbooks, everything, NRMA. And it just, no, you know, you just get to a stage where you just don't feel part of it. Somewhere that fell, I don't know. But it fell apart in London when I think. I don't know this, I think it did. When there was Carnegie and Russ and myself and we were, just, we were over there and there was Martin Sorrell and Hamish McLennan, who's, as you know, he ran Campaign Palace, disappeared, George Patterson disappeared. So he snapped up by Sorrell following this fantastic success. And oh, so you like Hamish as much as Martin, do you? Well, I don't know, Hamish flogged him off to Rupert and I don't know what lies he told him to get him a job there. I guess also WPP being the biggest advertiser in in the news world, I'd be, if Martin said, listen, can you give this guy a job picking flowers or something, you'd do it. And so he did whatever he did. It was a debt of some kind, I assume, or was on merit. And Rupert made a mistake too. But sorry, you were in London yes. talking to Sorrel. I'd got you sidetracked there, John. It's okay, buddy. I'm quite happy to come back to the track. And the, the objective, one of the objectives of being there was at the time, Martin or WPP also had, we've got Singletons, we've got, we've got Ogilvy, we put them together successfully. Then you've got Campaign Palace disappeared, but at that stage was a good brand, perhaps, to be resuscitated, revivified. We've got Young and Rubicon, who, when Spasm was around, it was it was a hot agency in Joe Dodeo days. And we had uh, George Patz, who had been number one my whole life, who was just about to plummet into the ocean, disappear, like a Malaysian airline advertising agency. So we had a, a talk and thought, well, there's only two logical buyers for these who are on the market, had to be, for Y&R and Pats, and that's us or you, we said to Martin Sorrell. Wouldn't it be better if one of us bought it and then we'll redistribute the wealth at a later occasion? And that way we have one management. And that was agreed. Whether we tossed a coin or decided that Martin was further advanced or Hamish, whoever it was, I don't know. But I know that he finished, we didn't bid and then Sorrel finished up with control of ownership of, to our pleasure, of Patson Y&R. He said, you, now we're going to have, and I said to Russell, our, our bottom of our legs as we walked across the London icy sleety, he said, wouldn't it be great to do this in London? And we were fantasising that. Now we had Australia 
but we're going to have take on the empire. 20, 30% of the market in Australia. Never been done in advertising. And we still had media, private ownerships, we could re, you know, look mm-hmm. at again. And we thought, we've got all this going for us. Wow. Sat down with Hamish the next day and then with Martin, and they didn't remember that conversation. The following day? Not a word of it, which suggests you know, a lack of recall. It was unbelievable act of treachery, really. Act of absolute treachery. So this is the Big Bang Theory I heard about at the time. Is this what we're talking about when you, you were going to smash it all together? Yeah, smash it all together, oh. which would have we could have done, mate. We had the talent, we had the ability, we had backup. Russ had backup in well, the high track record for Australia too. To the real point here, it was a clear business case to say in Australia, let's put this all together. Mm. Why would you have six advertising agencies in little old Australia when you when obviously the only one that made money was the one run by Russell? which was called John Singleton, it was then called Singleton Ogilvy Mather. It was, they put it in as Y&R and Pats. Either either it's one or two or three, we didn't get to that stage. No recommendations. I can't tell you what we were going to do, but we would have we would have run it as well as we ran everything else. So, Russell, is that your, clearly your recollection as well? There was a, there was a sort of a, a, a verbal like a nod one day and then yeah, gone yeah, the next. Look, look, what I mean, everyone, you know, informal, formal, a meeting in Martin's office, myself, uh, John, uh, Mark, I know he was the chairman, Hamish and, um, and, and Martin, and yeah, um, pretty much agreed that that all made sense, everyone nodding, and we'll go then go away and sort it out, boys, kind of thing. And then that, that wasn't going to happen fairly quickly. But then we had a private meeting with Hamish afterwards, casual, discussing the transition where how long Russell wanted to stay, how long I wanted to stay, so that Russell would move from executive chairman to chairman, ultimately. I don't think we got the years because we didn't know when. And then Hamish would become chairman or CEO or whatever you want to call it. And I would gradually fade into the dark or not just doing the thing occasionally. So we even got to that stage and Hamish was pretending to be excited about it. I think his mind was really on rugby. (laughs) (laughs) Very early. (laughs) God help rugby. I I, I think what John's will do, I I think in the end, difficulties arose because of the individuals. Right. What this structure was going to look like and not, not just me being there so much, but... What about after me? What role Hamish would play in the organisation? What role people like Mike would play in all that? So that scuppered that one, but ironically, everything you talked about ended up happening anyway, right? It just happened 10, 10 years later, 2016-17, where everything well, that, smashed that's together. That's where I was getting to before. There was an inevitability for us to take over the WPP businesses in Australia. This incident sort of put it back about 10 years and um, you know, Martin and I had an interesting relationship over that time, up and down. But in the end, I had to go to Martin and say, that, you know, and he was, we, we then decided to go to Southeast Asia. Right, and that's bought, right. And bought some businesses in Southeast Asia, very successfully. You know, not dissimilar to the, the STV sort of, mm. you know, embarkment up to South Asia, makes sense. If I recall, though, Martin told you to get back in your box on that. Oh, no, totally. And he was throwing he was throwing bricks at us the whole time. Um, 
it's still true today that the, the best businesses that they own in WPPA UNZ are all SDW ones. Ogilvy, um, DT Design, which is now AKQA, and Aleph up in Singapore, which we bought. But Martin, had he was unhappy, and so that's when I went to him and said, listen, why do that? Why don't we just get together? Because your businesses in Australia, need you know they need local leadership. Um, you've got Gray, you've got Wynar, you've got Hill and Knowlton, you've got um, Cantar. Group M was going okay, but we were already a partner in that. Yeah. And um, so it was pretty readily agreed very quickly that we would do that and we would take over the WPP businesses in Australia and, um, you know, we immediately became a you know, plus billion dollar market cap, as I said before, fifth biggest market in the world. Uh, and doing very, very well. And the Ogilvy business remains, I think it's number four. The AKK, AKQA business here is, I think, number two in the world. And Group M is still in the top five businesses in the world for them. So still an important market. But, you know, what went wrong was that I think they lost the heritage of the Singletons. So I'm a, I'm a Singletons guy. Russell's a Singletons guy, obviously John and that STW thing, and Martin absolutely bought into that and 100% believed in it, and he and I came to an arrangement that, you know, you would run the company, you'd do a good job, we'll ignore the other factors in there, you know, around the board and all those kind of things and just, you know, just make no mistake, and he never said it, but we understood each other, that he then, he now owned the company, they went to 60% of the shares, but it was still a publicly listed company, and then once I left... Unfortunately, it sort of went awry and it became a little bit the blind leading the blind with the board making decisions and and left it more than a year. So there was a vacuum of leadership for a year uh, after I left and then they went, they were determined to go international and outside the industry and they hired um, the the Yens, who I've never met and I have... You know, no, no beef with. I, I feel sorry for him in a way because he was hired into a job he was never going to be successful in. You, you and you and the chairman Rob McTeer weren't weren't best friends, though, were you? There was tension there for a long time. Oh, it wasn't so much tension. I think it was more the point that, I, unfortunately, us being a listed company and the only listed company in our space of of any repute. Um, meant that we had different kind of reporting and and different kind of you know flow and so I had a chairman who happened you know and and a board who that chairman had appointed who were not from the industry didn't understand the industry and didn't really like the industry and that irked me that they didn't really fully respect what we did and what we delivered and didn't really quite get it and wanted wanted us to be something else I think they wanted us to be PwC or you know Deloitte or something and like, no, that's mm. not us. So I've got to ask, though, the critics will say uh, during your tenure, Mike, that um, you didn't do enough to cut duplication across the group from IT, HR, finance, etc., and that there was a sort of a capability deficiency in this bull rush to tap the growth in tech, martech, data, e-commerce, analytics, and all that stuff that Singo's deep into now and sort of writes social media ads and all things he does at the moment. But there was a, there was a sort of a... A, um, a slow uh, adapt- adaption to, to, to that new frontier. And for the record, even Sir Martin Sorrell admits, you know, in that podcast we did a couple of weeks ago, where he didn't move it fast enough to fix WBP and couldn't do it or wouldn't do it because of some sort of, sort of the listings and so forth. So did you do enough? That's what the, that would be the critics 
throw at you. Well, yeah, and I'm, I'm happy to cop that. But, you know, at the same time, we were doing $120, $110 million worth of profit, which was double or triple our closest competitor. Uh, and clients came to us for a certain, you know, a, a certain service. Uh, the, the criticism that we weren't digital enough is that that's absolute crap. You know, as I just mentioned, AKQA and our digital businesses were absolutely the forefront of all of that. And, you know, Photon, you know, sold themselves to 25 times the market on talking about the fact that they were digital, yeah, exactly. but it was absolute rubbish, right? Yeah. We had a fantastic digital business. And you look at Ogilvy today, the, the John Singleton Advertiser Singleton we made that Ogilvy, it's still in the, in the top few agencies in the land. It's a very different agency today than what it was um, but they're, they're an agency and a group that should be and can do everything for a client. That was the whole model that Russell you know, set up. We want to be 100% of a marketing budget, not just the advertising bit, not just the digital bit, not just the media bit. We, we should be able to do it all. And so, no, I reject the criticism that we, that we weren't digital and data enough. That's, that's, I, I, that's just not true. Um, you know, if, if you actually look at the shape of that business today, a laugh up in Singapore, which is delivering well, about a quarter of their earnings at the moment, is a digital business. AKQA, as I said, which was the old DT business we bought in Melbourne many, many years ago, um, is the second biggest AKQA, AKQA office in in the world. Uh, so not not really true. And the uh, and yes, there's a lot of legacy in a business like WPP. John talked about you know big you know. It's, it's JWT, it's Grey, it's Ogilvy, it's y and you know, they're big, big, important brands globally, but we did more here in Australia um, prior to me leaving in, in rationalising that portfolio of businesses than they've done anywhere else in the world. And yes, that's continued, but really, you know, Wonderman Thompson, is that a good idea? I, 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 I don't think so. Um, yeah. You know, Gray and AKQA will maybe if Gray's. But what would you do then? So let, let's go there because you know Sorrell said um, you know he he couldn't fix WP. He's lobbing Molotovs like you wouldn't believe since sure. he went out. Right, sure. he's been having a good old crack and yeah. right up there with John Singleton's leg, really. And uh, he's been relentless on it. Um, but then at the same time, when you ask him the hard question, could you? Why didn't you do it before you left? He said, "Mea culpa. I, I didn't move fast but, enough." But it, sh- it should be split up. So this is so. Both of you think once. Singo, what are your thoughts? But what, what, basically here, that would mean you break the brand, break, break the group up in. Well, so WPP, I think what, they basically went a bridge too far, right? I mean, acquisition, acquisition, acquisition. The markets demand growth, right? right. And often needless growth. They just demand it. Correct. And, you know, Correct. and just sometimes it's just like, actually, that's just not sensible for the long term. It's just because they do. Yeah. And so, you know, WPP uh-huh. probably has, it does have too many advertising brands and too many media brands and too many, and, you know, they, they have sold Canter, uh-huh. the research business off. Yep. Um, you know, Martin often argues that Group M on its own is probably worth more than the rest of it. I don't know that I'd necessarily agree with the media business being the most valuable part. I'm a creative guy, so. But but if, if WPP globally should be broken up, does it mean that WPAU and Z should have been broken up in, in the relativities? I I, I think there's you, there's always got to be a balance here. You've got individual brands like Ogilvy, like JWT, like Mindshare Group, and whatever that have got 
strength in, in those brands and you should not destroy that just by saying we're, we're now part of ABC. But it's, so final thoughts on WPP because I'm worried that one, John Siegel is getting bored with the waffle um, and I'm going to come back to him in a minute. But um, in terms of the final thoughts for, for, for WPP, Mike Conaghan, in terms of here, do you what do you think happens now? Will the, the beast that is now London still manage to keep um, the machine here um, purring? Yeah, they're still, as I was saying before, they've got some great businesses still within WPP. It's it's arguably still the strongest global holding company. The brands locally will now ultimately report back to their sort of head offices, wherever mm. they may be. But the Australian businesses remain really important. You know, Ogilvy in Australia is a big business for them. Group M is a big business, AKQA. A left up in Singapore. You know, there's some still some classic local Australian the brand agency, still a big business for you know, for WPP, AUNZ or SCW, still really, really important. The PR companies that we have down here, very dominant in that in that space. So it's still a really important business. I hope um, that they make uh, some sensible decisions about the leadership. Um, and I think the fact that they've in the end, they had to act and come and take the final 38% out in order to have their way, if you like, because they're obviously getting resistance on what was not a good situation, that they will make the right decision and appoint the right kind of leader down here. Um, it's a great business and there's no reason. There's, there's no one else uh, in the market that you would sort of point to and go, that, you know, there's no reason why that business cannot be number one again. Your final thoughts on WP, Russell, and its future? Like, What do you think? Just getting that balance right. And the balance can only be gotten right, I think, by somebody who really understands Australia, this market, or Australia, Australasia, whatever. And that is some businesses need much more input from the centre, if you like. Others get it right, understand their leadership too, individual businesses like the brand leave them alone and, and that's a fairly delicate thing we at one stage we had 60 65 companies i think within the group i don't know how many there and the, you had to deal with every single one of those differently some of those you just say just keep away they they go on gangbusters they don't need us any more than we might have needed wpp to tell us how to run over we others smaller great potential then give them a hand that's i think the difference and there's a nuance in there that's not, that, that means it's much more than just saying we want to be the biggest group in Australia. That doesn't mean anything. That's not going to get one single client. And that's part one of this rambling conversation with Larrikin ad man John Singleton and his former top brass on their rise to a billion dollar ad company and what could have been if the huge merger deal they wanted to land with WPP and Sir Martin Sorrell more than 15 years ago had happened. Tomorrow is part two, mainly because it's hard to edit a polarising 80-year-old Australian advertising icon. In the next episode, we cover how Singo was used as a new business weapon with CEOs and boards, and although he plays down his influence at the top end, there are anecdotes aplenty to the contrary. His phone short dial had prime ministers and media moguls at hand. We also hear how John Singleton was all but penniless when he returned to advertising in the early 90s, how State of Origin and Australian and even West Indies cricket teams were named, 
in his agency bar and how KFC changed the fortunes of John Singleton's advertising business after winning it off a global agency network, YNR. We also hear about Singo's views on the trailblazing media buying independence in the 1970s, Harold Mitchell and Dennis Merchant. And here's a tip, Singo prefers one of them. So good luck and brace for part two tomorrow. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.